So at a conference, where does the really meaningful stuff happen? The meaningful stuff doesn't happen in the presentations. That's just kind of to let people know what you do and what you've done. And then the meaningful stuff happens at those long breaks. Creativity only pops up if you have a bit of time. So, you know, yeah. this is really, uh, it, there was, of course, you know, discussion about particular techniques and, you know, technical mm -hmm. details. But the big thing here was the ideas of how could you then move forward. And that's great. I have, I have to admit that after this week, I was really uh, feeling much more empowered in the science I do. And also, okay. like, I felt that was my niche of people, not only the people that were there, but somehow I felt that in that small, uh, small group, I was really very well fitting. Science is obviously a human adventure. And, you know, humans sometimes get along, sometimes don't get along. But it's also all about us to build the correct environment, prepare the, you know, the adequate setting to have the best human interaction that we can have so that research, which is a very enjoyable uh, adventure, uh, is done in an enjoyable uh, environment. Are you working in research, trying to do the best science you can? Are you a team leader, a research assistant, postdoc, PhD student, or any other type of scientist? Are you looking for a place where you can sit, relax, and listen to inspiring people? Well, we have good news for you. You've just found what you're looking for. Hi, everybody. My name is Renaud Pourpre. And I am Jonathan Weitzman. Welcome, Welcome to, to The, the Lonely, Lonely Pipet. Helping scientists do better science. Hello friend, this is Bruno. Today we are going to discover together a very special episode, which is different from our usual format. But don't worry, it will be just as interesting. To better understand the subject, let me tell you a story. When I was a PhD student, working in the lab allowed me to discover the most wonderful question you can ask in science. Why? Yes. Three letters which are enough to challenge a method, a scientific concept, or even scientific practices. It was extremely exciting. But of all the things I could question, there was one thing I never challenged. Why are we going to a scientific conference? In a way, I thought that only scientific progress or technology could help me do better science. I was like a marathon runner who thought that the only way to reach new heights and advance science was to keep running. At that time, I considered conferences a bit like a showcase field where you only tell finished stories. So it was hard for me to go there without having a complete story, you know, that made some sense. And maybe that's the case for some of you. Whether you're a student, postdoc or a PI, I had not necessarily questioned my view of conferences. Until last summer, when an event changed everything. This June 2022, a talented scientist named Jean-Léon Maître asked me if I would be interested in joining him and 15 other scientists at a conference in the south of France. Today, as you may know, I no longer work in the laboratory. And yet, here I am for the first time facing this question. 
why would I go to a conference? The conference was held in a non-scientific place, a place owned by a foundation called Les Treilles. It was in the middle of nowhere, and the title for such a meeting was very intriguing. Present and future of quantitative developmental biology. Are you intrigued? Because I was, especially since the conference lasted five days, which is quite a long time, let's face it. I was so intrigued that to answer my question, I knew that there was no better way than to go there. Okay, my experience there was as surprising as it was inspiring. But not just because of the science. It profoundly changed the way I thought about scientific interaction. We'll get into the details, but I saw that I wasn't the only one who enjoyed the moment. That's why, in this special episode, we are going to change the narrative. We're going to dive into this original story with four scientists who experienced this meeting with me. And since every story has an origin, why not start with this one? In a way, basically, I, I, I always wanted to um, try to uh, bring together people who would be sharing my interest in um, understanding embryonic development, who were at a similar stage of their career, um, so that we could build a community for, for the next decades, basically. This is Jean-Léon Maître, the organizer of the meeting. He's a CNRS researcher at the Institut Curie at Paris. His team studies mechanics of the mammalian development. And Jean-Léon runs his lab since six years now. They are interested in how embryos shape themselves, combining microscopy, image analysis, biophysics, and genetics. I mean, I'm, I just started my lab and a bunch of other people also just started their lab. And I just saw that, uh, you know, we, we, we always meet with, uh, with other scientists who are at a similar stage of their career. This always happens at conferences, uh, courses, anything you want, uh, or during interviews for the same grants. And uh, it's actually always, a, you know, when you're interviewing for a grant, it's also always a, a good time actually to meet uh, your colleagues, uh, even if it can be very yeah. stressful from time to time. But basically, I thought uh, it might be worth it to also just have a, a dedicated event to that, like try to meet with your peers who are at a similar stage of the career. We all share the same troubles, right? Uh, the same <laughs> challenges uh, when uh, when we are at a similar stage of our careers. And so I just thought like having a, 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 a meeting dedicated to this uh, would be interesting. And it was. As I stepped into the conference room, I got the feeling that something was different. The way people were sitting, standing, moving around in the room. I could relate to a classic setup of a conference, but there was more. The format was definitely more subtle than the classic one we know. The format is uh, imposed by the location. So, so the place where we've been, Les Treilles, uh, is a place which is dedicated to small meetings with 20 people or so. And 20 people who, who stay together for five days, which, uh, you know, you spend five days with 20 people, you get to meet personally everyone. You cannot not meet every single one of them. And so it's, uh, and, and, and Les Treilles is in a very remote place. You cannot escape. <laughs> it's, it's also a place you don't really want to escape from because it's a, it's a very pleasant yeah. place to, to stay in. <laughs> Indeed. The place was spacious, open, but above all, it was cozy. Picture this, a Provençal house where conferences are held surrounded by a beautiful natural landscape. Everything is quiet, no city noise around, only the wind blowing, the sound of the birds and the voice of scientists. A place far from any scientific context that leaves room for other possibilities 
that yeah, we all appreciate in science. Contemplation, exchange, and creativity. But it was not only the surroundings that were original here, it was also the rules that guided the presentations. In fact, there was only one rule. It's that there was none. I'm not, I'm not always good at organizing things, um, so I kind of left it, uh, I left it to some extent to some self-organization, uh, which is very fitting okay. for what we study. And uh, the, the idea of those intimate meetings, right, is that you discuss, you, ideally you don't discuss published work. You discuss the research which is, which is ongoing in your lab with, with the hope of getting some, some, some feedback and to initiate new collaborations because you don't initiate collaborations on, on a work which is already published. You initiate collaboration on a, on a, on a work which is ongoing for which you, you have some uh, opportunities and needs. Uh, and so that's, that's by talking about unpublished work that you act, can actually get this. And so there was no uh, proper guideline on uh, how or on what mm -hmm. I was expecting people to present. The idea was, yeah, ideally you spend one hour on the research, which is ongoing, not published. Uh, and uh, most, if not all, uh, played the game. So that was very enjoyable. Oh yeah, you cannot imagine how I enjoyed this no guideline rule. But it was kind of surprising for others. We have one hour. That's all I knew. We had one hour. This is Rita Matthews. She's a group leader since almost one year now at the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Cell Biology and Genetics and the Cluster of Excellence Physics of Life in Dresden, Germany. She's interested in understanding how cells coordinate precise growth and shape of tissues, allowing them to become fully functional. With her team, she explores the biophysical properties involved in controlling growth across these very different scales from the subcellular to organ levels. I was on the first day and I thought I was not the first speaker, but I saw the first talk and I thought, oh no, I am not prepared. <laughs> Because we were all running over time because, you know, it was a typical conference. You present and then people ask questions. And there, mm -hmm. basically, everyone was shooting questions during your presentation. So very quickly, I realized I have way too many slides. This is, I'm not <laughs> going to be able to finish it, but I do not have the time right now to cut slides. So I knew that that was going to happen. Yeah. But this was, and I think everyone that happened on the next days kind of corrected for it. But on the first day, you <laughs> couldn't so. do anything. <laughs> but um, about the choice of the team. So yes, uh, our lab has actually many different projects already going on, even though we're new. And I decided that given this audience that was really focused in being quantitative developmental biology. I wanted to show a little bit, set the tone into what we were mm -hmm. interested. So we first, I kind of showed some key findings that I had from my postdoc that motivated then the research in my lab. So just okay. so that people could see, ah, okay, this is this data that is there already out there. And now she's going to start speculating, uh, okay. <laughs> basically, because then I showed uh, a lot of preliminary data that we started generating in the lab in this past year. And I wanted the opinions of people on how could this be working mm -hmm. with relation to what we have found before. Um, so that was a very open discussion and full of, of questions. And, and indeed, yeah. I was not able to finish all my slides, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit weird, right? Because we are always thinking and you practice and you think, okay, yeah, one slide per minute, 
yeah, I have 40 slides. <laughs> I have 40 slides, 40 minutes. We'll have 20 minutes of discussion. We have one hour. Uh, in fact, that was the only thing Jean-Leon told us. <laughs> and um, yeah. I thought, ah, it's fine. And I, I really remember after the first talk, I think it was Ina. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to finish. And then I looked at Mary that was sitting next to me and she was also giving her talk on the first day. And she was like, I am cutting. I am cutting. And <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, this is not how usually these things go. But it was totally yeah. fine. So so the yeah. point was, I was not able to finish my slides. But the discussion was so rich that it was fine. The point here was not to have a super polished talk that, that mm -hmm. you would, you know, have the paper figures ready and stuff like this. No, it was really more about the brainstorming and the ideas and how to move forward also with our labs, but also as a yeah. field. So that mm -hmm. was very exciting. Right. So it turned out that these unplanned meetings were in fact paving the way for open discussion, but also for testing ideas. I'm a group leader uh, only since two years. So somehow my group is still trying to find uh, his way. This is Mary. She's an associate professor and group leader of the Tissue Architecture Lab at the Novo Nordisk Foundation Center for Stem Cell Medicine and Renew at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Mary has led her lab since two years now in order to understand how cells coordinate their decision with neighboring cells. All of this to build tissues with specialized shape and function. So for me, it was really the occasion of showing what we have as a plan and see how people were reacting to this plan somehow. Mm -hmm. It was more a check to see if I'm wow. in the good, uh, on the good track. Obviously, I presented things that are already published on the work that I've done before because this, we are using it now as a system to, to move further our, our studies. But really for me, it was... Simply also the question, if the questions that we have is the questions yeah. that uh, the basic biological questions that are driving our research are uh, good and important and whether other people in, 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 in this field are feeling that uh, they are the good questions to ask. But I think for me, this was the first time I was really showing my future, I don't know, five year, six year research plan to people mm -hmm. that I don't fully no. I think that uh, anyway, when you are in this type of setting, that's also what you expect, that people really will share also yeah. unpublished uh, data and that people will uh, will really put themselves entirely in this, um, in the discussion and in, in the giving feedback, receiving feedback, asking questions, criticize also the work of others, yeah. because I mean, uh, also very 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 important right go deeply into the um, into the data and and give honest feedback so that was what i was looking for and that's what i received and i was really happy actually mm -hmm. uh, yes, about so really great. about everything and you know what getting feedback was not only for recently settled pi not at all I have a very broad lab, so I do multiple model systems and we ask multiple questions. They're all focused around the idea of how does organ shape emerge, but we tackle it in many different ways. And so for me, I have many talks. <laughs> so 
it's often a, it's often a challenge to to decide what to present. And it was actually very fun at this conference because I didn't present on the first day, so it was very nice because I could kind of see how it was, true, how the talks were going. And so I actually decided to just present on something completely unpublished, nice, and just say, okay, let's just have let's just have some feedback. You've just met Tim Saunders, who runs his lab since 2013. He's an associate professor and group leader of an interdisciplinary group of the Center of Mechanochemical Cell Biology at Warmwick University in England. His team focuses on deciphering how organ shape forms. With biologists, microscopists, and biophysicists, they tackle complex challenges such as how complex organ and tissue shape emerge in vivo using state-of-the-art experimental and computational approaches. I did present on a bit of work that had come out in the last couple of years as a kind of a build-up, and we actually had a, some interesting discussion around that. But then we had a what, what I thought was going to be two slides on some unpublished data uh, ended up being essentially 20 minutes of the talk. <laughs> But that was really helpful. It was it was really useful for me because we're writing the paper now, and you identify problems, and you can see where you need to improve it. And so I basically went with no talk prepared. I had multiple talks on my computer, and I actually basically put in and made a new talk in the morning of my presentation. <laughs> and then I wasn't quite sure how it would time. So I actually had three parts to it and we only got through part one, <laughs> which is what I was expecting. But I was a bit, if no one asked any questions, at least I had part twos and threes to, to, to get through the time. Wait, can we stop here for a moment? Can you imagine for the first time, I saw a type of conference where not getting at the end of your presentation is actually a good thing. A sign that you've engaged enough people into the details and you got the feedback you wanted. I mean, in a funny way, isn't it the way all conferences should be? Big conferences, for example, they tend to hardly succeed in these points. So for me, it's always been conferences like this are the most fun. You'd think that you go to a conference of 8,000 people and you'll meet lots of people, but you don't because it's too many and you end up just hanging on to a few people and following them around because it's so large, it's daunting. Whereas I've always really liked small meetings. And so by the end, I had spoken to everyone yeah. Uh, yeah. for at least half an hour. It makes a big difference. And so I think in this in the case of scientific conferences in general, I think small is better. So have you? is it the first time you, you've done this type of... Uh, it's the first time I've done the one at Littrell, but I have done a few similar type ones before and generally find them very good. Okay. So when I was, when I was a tenure track professor and desperately trying to get tenure, I would go to a lot of conferences and I was very fortunate to have a very supporting partner who would look after our child. And so I went to a whole range of small, medium and big because there was a lot of pressure on me to get tenure and you're told you have to mm -hmm. meet lots of people. Since getting tenure, I have chilled a lot. Uh, and so I'm, I've not signed up for any big conferences for the last two or three years. And I generally don't go to them. I, I don't find them particularly rewarding. I, I see the point of them and I think for... For younger researchers, there's a lot of value to going to a large conference where you get to see the breadth of research and you get to meet a lot of people. But I consciously moved back to the UK from Singapore because I wanted to travel less because in Singapore, every trip was a long trip. Because of that, I've also decided to reduce the number of conferences I attend. So I've actually in the last year, I didn't know if I'd be able to do it, but in the last year, I've said no to quite a few conferences. And, and it's hard. It's hard because you want to be there. You want to be seen. But uh, I wanted to balance my I work life a bit better. And so 
This sort of conference to me is far better. A week where you really have proper conversations in depth. I have a number of collaborations which are coming out of this conference and that's worth far more than giving a talk for five minutes in front of a lot more people. But it's, I don't think that brings as much value. Okay, let's take a step back. I think you can start to see where we are all going. Maybe behind the question, why are we going to a scientific conference? There is another hidden question. What values are we looking for in a conference? Here's Jean-Léon. What I hope you could appreciate as well is that how constructive all of the discussions were. There was no, I mean, I, I, I don't know how it feels from, yeah. you know, from, from an external perspective, but I didn't feel there was uh, any fear of competition uh, or anything like this. People were just talking about what they were doing in the lab. I felt that they were unrestricted. Uh, and that people in the room were very much curious about the research that was uh, being presented and that they were very uh, keen on actually just suggesting new ideas and have you tried this? Uh, do you want to do that? Uh, oh, we, we, I heard about these things. It felt very, very constructive. And this is uh, not always the case in a, in a bigger conference where you have a very short mm -hmm. slot to present your research where you just have to hammer your message as quickly as possible and as loud as possible, where basically all what you want to do is, uh, you know, to some extent shine, right? And, uh, and mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's, you know, one of the perverse effects of having this, um, you know, one, two days conference where you have like, you know, 20 talks uh, in one day. Yeah. You just have to, you know, if you, if you want to be remembered, you just have to somehow, you know, you have to overhype your, your, your message. And that's, uh, you know, of course, I, I'm exaggerating now, but, uh, Having a, a more relaxed setting where you have one week talk, I, I think it changes the way we discuss science. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you, you enjoyed it and you, you felt like this was a good format. Yeah. And personally, I agree with that. Do not get my guests wrong. They don't believe small-scale conferences should be the only one. But having some of them would bring to our scientific lives new values that big conferences can't. During these five days, I saw many surprising benefits from such a conference, as did my guests. For example, Marie really felt another level of engagement and meaningful conversations. So I had a lot of expectation and all my <laughs> expectations were met. And that oh. I think is a super good, uh, good thing, right? I think it was super nice and maybe um, unexpected also to see that really everyone was engaging. I think we have really fair discussion about uh, uh, different topics, also science-wise, because uh, somehow we were, I would say, quite heterogeneous group of, of people. So mm -hmm. we all do quantitative developmental biology, but we still work with many different systems. We still work, I mean, we try to answer to slightly different questions. Maybe what it was more unexpected is that I saw the same level of engagement okay. uh, with everyone and des despite uh, the precise focus of um, of our research I, I have I have to admit that after this week I was really uh, feeling much more empowered in the science I do and also okay. like I felt that was my niche of people not only the people that were there but somehow I felt that in that small a small group I was really very well fitting and okay. some sometimes when you go to bigger conferences these feelings is more difficult to have mm 
because obviously you are I mean there are just more people and then you really need to plan to whom you want to talk with and if sometimes if you don't if you are not a very well recognized name and you don't uh, you know follow someone on the toilet just to try to <laughs> get uh, his or her attention for five five minutes then you know it, it's really complicated while uh, when you have smaller groups definitely you need to talk to each other and it's much easier in another way Jean-Léon also felt that the group was engaged in a supportive behavior. I was very busy at the time. I'm still very busy right now. And I somehow, mm -hmm. I mean, the, for different reasons, you know, the lab is taking me very busy and home is taking me very busy because we are moving apartments. So, so it's not very, so the conference just happened at maybe not the best time for me. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I felt like I arrived very unprepared in the sense that mm -hmm. I had not, you know, I had, I sent the schedule very late and so on and so forth. And, And I felt uh, not so good about like, okay, I just didn't prepare this enough. And it, it went okay. fine because everyone was just very benevolent. And, uh, and uh, you know, several of the people were there. So Romain, Romain for example. So he, uh, he helped out okay. you know, when, he could, when he saw that I was forgetting some stuff. He stepped mm -hmm. in and said, oh, we should, we should oh, discuss yeah, this. Right? And uh, so, yeah, so maybe that's a surprising thing that somehow it just went well because just people just, you know, stepped in and helped out. And that's not all. His team that explains how such a setup triggers a greater openness. We didn't all know each other, but we kind of had a common theme. And obviously Jean-Leon was a common, common factor. I think people were much more open about sharing data and also sharing weaknesses. It's much easier to stand up in front of 18 people and say, this I'm not entirely convinced by. Whereas if you're giving a talk in front of 500 people, You, you don't want to seem to say that because you can't discuss the nuances. Whereas this open style of, of talk is much better. And it kind of comes back to something that... So I, I, I switched from physics to biology in 2007. And in physics, particularly our, our internal seminars, it was very common to be interrupted. So my, my, first, my first departmental seminar, I prepared a 20-minute talk and it lasted an hour because you expect to be asked questions. And I found it very weird when I went to biology that people would often sit in silence And then you just ask questions at the end. And I, I don't find that as good. And I find this conference where we proactively ask questions during the talks, you get into the nitty gritty and you understand the details far more, far more useful, to be honest, than a, again, like a five minute blitz talk, um, which you just give the headlines and you kind of brush over any of the details. A level of depth that was not only about the science itself, but also about human interactions and connections, both professionally and personally. Here's Rita on that. The most surprising thing was really the depth uh, of interactions in the sense that I felt after this week that I not only had made good connections for work, but also felt like a deep connection with people like beyond just work. Like I thought, oh, I want to see these people again. I want to continue to hang out with them. They are cool, <laughs> not just as scientists, but also as people. And, and that is something that you don't have all the time in conferences. So I've, that was, that surprised me. And, and, and I thought, ah, when can I see them again? And we started to already make plans to at least some of us will see each other already in October. And I Great. thought, okay, this is, this is amazing. We can really form a network. And, and that's very powerful, you know. That's not something that happens all the time, just out of one week of interaction. So that really surprised me. So commitment, openness, depth, 
all very interesting values that we look for as a scientist, but also as a human being. But here is the most interesting part. The benefit came not only from the conferences themselves, but also from a specific time that we could call social time. Yeah, it was funny because when I, when I started as a PhD student, I remember going to my first conference and seeing it had two and a half hour lunch break. And I was like, what? You don't need two and a half hours for lunch? And of course, I didn't know anyone. And I found it rather difficult. I kind of stood by myself. I kind of met one person and talked to them a bit, but I felt very awkward. And, and I didn't understand why we had such long breaks. And now I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, can we just not have talks? Can we just have, have the discussion? And it kind of comes back to what I was saying about the talks, right? So at a conference, where does the really meaningful stuff happen? The meaningful stuff doesn't happen in the presentations. That's just kind of to let people know what you do and what you've done. And then the meaningful stuff happens at those long breaks because you sit down and say, oh, I really like that data that you showed. We have a similar problem or we have a technique you may find interesting. And then you have a discussion about it. And so now I, I, I look on fear at conferences which have wall-to-wall talks with like rushed breaks. That to me is not a good use of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for example, at this conference, there was a lot of free time, but it's very little of that free time was spent being free. Mm-hmm. A lot of that free time was spent talking with people about work, about different techniques, <clears throat> about criticisms of the work, you know, my work and uh, how to improve it. And so, you know, for example, we had the nice long walk up to the nearby village. I spent the entire walk up talking to someone actually about my talk and about ideas that we could incorporate. And I spent the entire walk back talking to someone about their work and what to improve and ideas to help and so on. So that was work. Now, it was nice. It was nice work. It was walking up a nice hillside in the the south of France. But still, fundamentally, that's where the real discussion happens in science. The idea that we're kind of in a locked room and suddenly have these magic eureka moments is not how it works. (laughs) This, This meeting was very odd for me in that over the last 15 years, I've been a junior people at meetings. And there's always the big props you follow. At this meeting, I was one of the most senior props there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were three of us started our labs in 2013. So we were the ones with the most experience. And so what was very interesting at this conference for me was having a lot of the new PIs come up to me and say, oh, well, have you got any advice about grants? Have you got advice about a lot of discussion about personnel, how to hire, how to deal with more challenging personnel in the lab, I guess is one way of putting it. So yeah, it was it was actually a it was on a different foot for me in some sense at this conference because the dynamic meant that I was one of the the oldies, although I don't think I'm old. <laughs> um, it meant that I was a lot of the discussion I was involved with, which was not directly science related, was related around how to set up a lab and advice on that. Uh, and yeah, that was that was that was quite interesting. Um, thinking back, what I'd learned over the years. With what Tim said, let me redefine these social times. These moments of free time were actually mentoring times. Discussion about lab habits, sometimes difficult topics. Can you imagine my reaction to that? It was like attending an episode of our podcast in real life. We also talked about our own labs, about struggles that we are facing currently in our lab or, you know, with collaborations or even with our previous supervisors or, you know, all of these things, if you have a space that has time to discuss these things sort of normally come out. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was great, actually, because sometimes we were, you know, comparing strategies and, and, and discussing things, but also 
I also felt this is what led to collaborations because we realized, okay. ah, yeah, uh, I'm also interested in doing this or that. So yeah, maybe we should continue talking and do something together, right? So so that's special. This free time is mm -hmm. special for this because many times that's when you dig deeper on something okay, that yeah. you were interested in. Uh, but also, yeah, a bit on this other more science personal level that uh, many times you realize we are in a very small bubble. So we know a lot of people also that maybe we have connections in between people, between us that we didn't know. Right. So so that's also mm -hmm. nice and also leads to then proximity that then in the future you think, ah, who who should I invite for this or that yeah. and that's when you start thinking of the people that you met right so yeah this time of brainstorming is essential so mm -hmm. this is truly essential this is why i was saying all the conferences should become like this <laughs> <laughs> i know this is not possible right and yeah. and and i of course conferences are also very important for your students and postdocs to also have an opportunity to participate. So this was a very particular conference just of group leaders, which is great. And I hope, you know, this format continues, but I also think you can start thinking of ways to change the conferences to at least give a bit more time for early career researchers to also be able to experience this and not losing also these networking opportunities. Of course, in very big conferences, this usually is lost because you you don't have time to meet with everyone right so so just mm -hmm. this idea that you can meet with everyone you know know the name of every person and know what they're doing mm -hmm. that's so special right <laughs> okay if we look closely there is a kind of implicit message that we can get here it's true that in science we feel like we're running all the time we lack the time to slow down to step back and try to fundamentally question our way of doing science in the experiments and also in the human side. I was, me personally, asking a lot about, okay, how you shaped your lab, uh, which were the things that you started uh, to do, in which order, and uh, how you ensure that uh, uh, your people are happy and, uh, well, not, let's say, it's already when I'm saying, like, your people, it's... Uh, <laughs> not good but say <laughs> that everyone in the group that you are leading um, mm -hmm. is feeling uh, is feeling engaged and happy about uh, the science we do all together mm -hmm. so definitely that's something i think we discuss quite a lot and also like on um, something that is still science related and more practical also like uh, i'll say how you behave when you are a reviewer but it's more like you know how much you should advise when you're writing a review and how really how much now when you're writing a review, when you are reviewing a paper. So mm -hmm. how much uh, you should um, criticize also in terms of novelty. Is it really our role to say that something is novel or not novel? Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is a discussion that is really important. And I mean, it's a difficult point. I remember we discussed a lot about this. And since we were all, or the majority of us were junior, I mean, hopefully we will be the senior. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and the one that will push the, the, the science uh, further also in, in this direction. So it was good also to discuss this more philosophical, uh, yeah, but yeah. also tangible problem, right? It's not, I will not say it's a 
philosophical side of science, but it's really it's, uh, something practical and tangible, but that we rarely discuss about, uh, seriously discussing and not just complaining about, uh, ah, I got rejected because uh, they didn't uh, see the novelty, you know, or uh, I don't know, look this paper that is... Uh, now out uh, in, in science and uh, it showed something that we already knew since 30 years. Now, what if this type of conference could force us to do so, giving us an excuse, as many successful entrepreneurs do, to slow down and take the time to discuss this between us, having this kind of creativity retreat, a time for mentoring retreat? I think it showed the importance of doing science in a good environment. And I've seen on Twitter quite a lot of people criticizing conferences and venues and sort of saying, well, you know, we should be doing it cheaply. We should be doing it in a shed somewhere in the middle of the city. You need to be in a good mental space and in a good physical space in order to think properly. Mm -hmm. And the level that we're trying to think, we're trying to do groundbreaking work involving very complicated ideas, very interdisciplinary. And you can only do that if, you, if you're in the right place both physically and mentally. And I think it's very important that there are conferences like this which say, we're going to give you the right environment and the right support where for a week you try damn hard and you work hard and we all worked hard, but it was in a nice supportive place where you also had a bit of a break from your day-to-day -day mm -hmm. routine. And I think that stimulated a lot of ideas. And I think a lot of new concepts and work is going to come from this conference much more so than if it was at a large conference venue, hundreds or even thousands of people trawling through. And I find that a lot more a lot more stifling. And so I think there needs to be an acceptance, really, or realization that these conferences have a lot of value. And as I said earlier, it's, it's not that we don't have the other conferences. I think they, they serve an important role. But I think there's, amongst quite a lot of people on Twitter, at least, which I know is not maybe the best demographic to, 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 to base it off, <laughs> I mean, there's quite a lot of misunderstanding about what a meeting like this means. And I think that's something that uh, I, I found very rewarding. I found the meeting very helpful. And I, I think it will benefit my lab a lot. And I hope it will benefit the others as well. Uh, I know it's also not easy to have this type of meeting all the time. It is time consuming, but I mean, it is a good time consuming, right? Creativity only pops up if you have a bit of time. So, you know, yeah. this is really, uh, it, there was, of course, you know, discussion about particular techniques and, you know, technical mm -hmm. details. But the big thing here was the ideas of how could you then move forward. And that's great. Right? This is how then you can really build new projects and, and, and figure out new research avenues, I'd say. <laughs> If I may add, I, I would just say, at least for me, it also generated kind of a inclusive feeling like, ah, look, there's all these people that have also started their labs not so long ago. They are really motivated with the same types of questions that I am. So that's really powerful because then you have a community uh, that, that you can bounce ideas off. And, and this is really not some, I mean, I, I would say this is what should always happen, but it doesn't always mm -hmm. happen, right? So that's really, really great. So a question might come to your mind now. Can anyone replicate such an experience? Of course, it's not that common. But if you're interested in learning more about this type of conference, 
I asked Jean-Léon to tell us how one might try to do it. How, what, what would you... So, so if it's just about finding the funding and the location, so uh, the, La Fondation des Tres, so they uh, fund and organize uh, those uh, meetings, um, one can apply, mm -hmm. everyone can apply. You don't have to be in the French okay. system. You don't have to be French. You can apply them. And uh, it doesn't have to be about developmental biology. Actually, mm -hmm. there are seminars on, <laughs> um, on history and social sciences and any kind of uh, discipline. And uh, so you could look it up. Just look it up uh, in Letray and uh, you can uh, set up one of those meetings. And uh, then they will evaluate your proposal and um, then you can organize your meeting. But if you can't or don't want to apply, why not reproduce such an event on a smaller scale or organize more frequent meetings in a non-scientific location? Remember, the important thing is to change the context and incorporate more human time to create what Jean-Léon calls a human adventure. I think the, um, I mean, this is something which is very much transpiring in the Lonely Piped post podcast, which is that science is obviously a human adventure. And, you know, humans sometimes get along, sometimes don't get along, but it's also all about us to build the correct environment, prepare the, you know, the adequate setting to have the best human interaction that we can have. So that research, which is a very enjoyable uh, adventure, uh, is done in an enjoyable uh, environment. And, uh, and so I think, you know, this is, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, organizing those small meetings is the key to uh, you know, make research uh, more enjoyable, but it's definitely part of it, right? And so by preparing mm -hmm. the, you know, the idea, you know, uh, is that by contributing to, to organize the future of, you know, research in Europe on developmental biology by getting all of the new group leaders uh, in one place for five days so that they talk to each other, I feel like this is contributing to this, you know, to try to make research more enjoyable by having a, a friendly environment. Okay, it's time to wrap up. Today, we heard the feedbacks of four scientists who experienced an original conference. Combining a beautiful location, directive-free discussions, and a real place for free time, I've tried to identify three lessons we could take home. First, these intimate or small-scale meetings that focus on ongoing unpublished work could be a real complement to large-scale meetings providing concrete feedback and facilitating the development of new collaboration. Then, let me point something. There is something truly interesting in the role that time and space played here. With enough time and a non-scientific space, this conference gave the opportunity for people to have extended, in-depth conversations about their research, to advise each other on lab daily challenges, and to make meaningful connections. And finally, I think this conference was successful in bringing together a diverse group of scientists so that broad perspectives and visions could be shared. This conference reassured me, and I think it reassured the participants as well. Why? Because I think that if you let the diversity come through and share experiences, you could unleash a real power of scientific communities to feel less lonely, being together, to do better science. Thank you very much for following this episode. 
We would like to thank Jean-Léon Maître for the invitation and all the other participants who made this day and this episode a very pleasant and inspiring moment. If you enjoyed this format, please feel free to share it with us on Twitter at Lonely Pipette. Let us know if you would like to see more episodes like this one. Thanks again, take care, and à bientôt!